Welcome to the Daily Objective, a production of the Ayn Rand Center, United Kingdom, where we take the ideas of Ayn Rand and we apply them to current events. I'm Michael Leibowitz, and with me today is the one, the only, the great, appropriately named Mr. James Valiant. Jim, how's it going today, bud? Oh, valiantly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, speaking of Valiant, it seems that some of our uh, foreign or some of our officials working on the foreign stage uh, perhaps aren't very Valiant. Uh, we'll start with Anthony Blinken. He has met with Prime Minister Netanyahu. He also met with Mahmoud Abbas. What are your thoughts on these meetings and U.S. policy in general? Well, what he's you know what we, it started out really pretty good i have to say from the biden administration they came out with you swinging with uh you know israel has a right to defend itself and defending itself does mean going after hamas we're not going to tell them what to do so there were some initially some good language coming out of the biden administration but i think that as time and this is something we predicted here uh, on our uh, podcasts uh, that it would be a, a matter of days weeks at most before uh, even america would start pressuring Israel about civilian casualties, humanitarian aid, and that is precisely what has transpired. And there's an increasing uh, drumbeat now from Blinken about uh, Israel better not violate international law. Israel better not, uh, they better take more care. What does that mean? Oh, if settlers in the West Bank are causing a problem, that's to be charged to Israel. If Hamas breaks, if some random dude, for example, today, what is was the headline today? Three people were shot at a a bus stop in Israel uh, by uh, these guys. That wasn't, see, that's not a violation of a ceasefire. That's just a lone acting Palestinian, don't you know? But if Israeli settlers on the West Bank cause any trouble, uh, that's Israel's fault. And so Blinken is now uh, putting on to Israel, they're responsible for every Jewish person uh, in the world, whereas, of course, it doesn't constitute a, a, a violation of the ceasefire should Jews get uh, shot to death at a bus stop during the, quote, ceasefire. No, we want to extend the truce. They're calling it a truce now. Let's keep calling it a truce, 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 truce. Just meeting with Abbas is, I think, wrong because what it does is it's exactly playing into their strategy to make the Palestinian Authority and Abbas look like the moderate uh, sane people that we can deal with. But I haven't heard Abbas say, oh yeah, we recognize Israel's right to exist. I mean, I don't even understand why America would even be discussing anything with these people so long as they call for the violent destruction of Israel. Uh, So long as they're the ones advocating explicit policy-wise genocide, and they are, every bit as much as Hamas, There's, it, it is counterproductive, we can gain nothing from it, only lose from it, only extend this, only create more uh, uh, October 7th, as they release terrorists, mind you, uh, in exchange for five-year-old girls, they're setting up, they're not only making uh, hostage-taking pay, and that's the thing that, that that we keep, America keeps saying, oh, hostages first, hostages first, civilian deaths in Palestine first. So in other words, we're telling Israel, your soldiers' lives are worth less than the ordinary Palestinian who probably wants to destroy you. That's what we're saying right up front. Now, there's a bigger issue here that's part of U.S. policy, and that is a tremendous evasion on the part of Iran's role. This is obviously a giant coordinated attack by Iran on both the United States and Israel. To not see that is to be 
blind in an intentional way. Uh, it is not an accident that dozens and dozens of attacks on U.S. military bases are ha happened in the last month, dozens upon dozens upon dozens, simultaneous. It's not an accident that the Iran-backed Houthis of Yemen have been uh, lobbing missiles at uh, uh, Israel as well. It is no accident that Hezbollah is started firing missiles when they did. This is a giant coordinated attack coming from Iran. Whatever you, th as I've said before, whatever you think of the proposed Saudi-Israel peace deal, it was obviously designed to scuttle that. This has nothing to do with Palestinian resistance or the oppression of people in Gaza. This had to do with scuttling peace between Mecca and Jerusalem, which is unthinkable to the Ayatollah. Now, what our Defense Department just yesterday came out, and what did they say about these missiles? Well, we know they weren't aiming at any Israeli or American ships. That we do know. They weren't aiming at us now because, the you know, the missile was, you know, quite a bit off and landed in the water. So the reporter asks, where, what were they doing? What who were they firing at? Or was it an accident or what? We don't know what was going on. We can't Maybe tell Maybe it's their, their equivalent of 4th of July and they're just setting off exactly. fireworks. <laughs> it's just fireworks or something. <laughs> we have a couple of super chats. We've got four ninety nine coming in from Jonathan Honig. And we have 99 cents coming in from Bonnie Bertrand. Thank you both very much. Jim, doesn't the, or don't the, enemies of israel run a risk here i mean if anybody's actually analyzing this thing logically with which not many people are granted but if they like you said first of all they contradict themselves when israeli settlers do something israel's to blame but when palestinians do it hamas is not to blame but isn't there also this where the claim is that hamas is not the same as the palestinian people that Hamas is a terror organization, yes, but if you kill innocent civilians over there, you're killing people that have nothing to do with this. But if Palestinian civilians are carrying out attacks, doesn't that weaken that position for them? Like I said, if somebody's actually thinking logically. Well, it destroys them insofar as they're used, whether voluntarily or not. You know, if someone were making, say, uh, rocket launchers, would you care whether or not they had a gun to their head from some Hamas person or whether they were eagerly doing it out of their own? It doesn't matter. They're, they have become an agent. They've become a tool in the enemy's arsenal. That person, whatever their internal mental state, it's irrelevant. They are a tool of destruction of Israel. And once they have been commandeered as a tool for the destruction of Israel, they are now, they've been killed by Hamas already. The, the children in that hospital, Already casualties caused by Hamas before they just putting it under the hospital, just putting it under the hospital. So their intentional strategy is to kill as many of their own people as possible. So when Blinken says, well, we want you to reduce it, he is simply parroting the Hamas policy line. The, the civilians that Israel is killing are not because Israel wants to kill civilians. They're just sadistic monsters who love to see pain and suffering for women and children. No, of course not. Uh, Israel is being surgical and careful, perhaps way too surgical and way too careful from my perspective. But the point is, we've lost the moral idea that we've been talking about for now more than a month. The aggressor is responsible in this case for all the civilian casualties. In this case, it's all the more true. They're, they're holding up their, literally holding up their babies, their own babies as shields. When that happens and you don't say, 
This is all Hamas's fault. The minute you open your mouth and say Israel has the responsibility to worry about it, you have played completely into Hamas's hand. You completely you uh, and you've destroyed any moral argument for self-defense. Consider that. I'm asking you to consider that. You say Israel has a right to self-defense, but they're responsible for all the babies who might die. No. Then you're saying Israel does not have a right to self-defense. You don't know what you're talking about when you use the the, the verbiage self-defense. You don't. What it reminds me of, and, and I'm not going to say it's an exact parallel or exactly analogous, but in, in Atlas Shrugged, Hank Reardon, where he his family they hold his virtue against him so they can treat him however they want, but he can't respond because to do so would be to violate his code or to, to violate the, the norms of morality. And it seems to me that that is similar to the position that Israel is in. Now, the reason Ooh. I say it's not exact is because I don't think that the Israeli government is on the, is the moral caliber of a Hank Reardon. And I just want to be clear about that. <laughs> I think they're morally superior to Hamas. And, Hama, and, and Hamas in burning families alive is a bit worse than Lillian Reardon. Yes. Yeah. So the, exactly. So just for the record, <laughs> but, but nonetheless is that you come at Israel and you say, Oh no, no, their own people. We, we, we want the hostages back. You've got to trade for these hostages. And then you, you can't be killing civilians. You have to, you have to, you know, spare them. And Jim, look, I've said a million times, civilians should be spared when possible, but the entire sentence matters there. It's when possible. Right. It's not at the expense of your own existence. And it's for ourselves. I don't want sadistic uh, uh, killers on my military payroll. I'm doing it. It, it, look, the United States and Israel has to police the behavior of their soldiers for their own purposes. There's another side to it, true. If you if we do engage in atrocities, it is going to be against it. Their rational world opinion would be against you. Right. And so, yeah, there'd be. But when the world opinion is so irrational as it is now, that's really a secondary consideration. No matter what Israel does, they'll be denounced. But still, it is for Israel's own purposes that they have rules that say IDF soldiers can't use rape or burning or torturous mutilation as as a tool of war. That is something the good guys have to do for their own sake, for their own sake. When a person uses violence against you they have lost their right to have violence not used against them that is precise they have dictated the terms on which we have to treat them if they initiate violence like that uh, so they have lost their right to life for sure it's not their rights i'm concerned with primarily here it's my soldiers and my military and my integrity if i'm israel or the united states now on the other hand your example from the sanction of the victim is perfect it is exact in one sense we're not talking about war obviously and israel is not anchored and lillian is not hamas i understand the differences (laughs) but there are differences as you point out correctly on the other hand look Hank, you are bit so big and strong and you can do it. And we're so needy and weak. And gosh, no matter what our vice, no matter what our vice or Philip, his brother, no matter how hostile my charity may be to your business interests, big brother, <laughs> you still are going to fund it, right? 
uh, spoiler alert for those who don't know Atlas Shrugged, uh, Hank has a brother, Philip, who's encouraging him, to, uh, his rich, wealthy brother, to uh, contribute to this uh, world progress, whatever organization <laughs> that he's, he's promoting to his brother. Uh, and uh, Hank is willing to do that, to be, to set, to sanction, in effect, his own ideological enemies and destroyers, because, well, gosh, he is the productive one and they need him. He's the strong one. He could, well, look at what he could do. He could just kick them out and they'd be destitute and they'd be all on their own, his poor family. And it's that need versus his virtue. That creates no obligation on Hank Rudin's part. The, and to use the analogy here, Israel's strength, Israel could wipe out Hamas, uh, Hamas tomorrow. Israel could flatten Gaza. If we didn't worry, if they really didn't care, if it was genocide, as the enemies say, if they really were uh, the monsters that the enemies of Israel say, they could have flattened all of Gaza and destroyed most of the, killed most of the civilian population, and just with the conventional weapons. There. Israel's got a hell of an air force. Israel's got missiles that make uh, anything Hamas has look like uh, toys. If they wanted to, they could have flattened, within three days, they could have flattened the entire Gaza Strip and, yeah, killed most of the civilians there. But obviously Israel is not engaged in genocide. Obviously this is not a concentration camp. Obviously Israel is the only one who gives a damn about the civilians. They're holding back their strength. No, but you're not holding back enough. You have to hold back. In fact, you will have to sub subject your soldiers to dying rather than have any Palestinians die, even though it's Hamas's whole fault. This is the moral breakdown. It is a clear example of the sanction of the victim and uh, the attack on virtue for virtue's sake. I'm not, you, you said, it, said it beautifully, so let's draw it out exactly for what it actually means. They are attacking virtue for virtue's sake. Right. Israel, because it's morally superior to Hamas, they don't use rape. They don't burn whole families alive. Okay, let's use Israel's greater uh, valuing of life, their virtue, their higher virtue against it, them. Uh, that is exactly what's going on. Blaming Hank Reardon for being a hero. Blaming Hank Reardon for feeding them. Blaming Hank Reardon, because guess what? Israel does. Israel does. Were it not, Israel could, could, could blockade Gaza and cause starvation there, and they could have done so for the last 20 years, but they do not. Yeah. For me, Jim, what this has become, the, the Israeli story, is it goes, for me, bigger than what's happening in the Middle East. Ultimately, I mean, let's my day-to-day -day living is not really affected by what happens over there. Maybe in a roundabout way down the line, granted, but really no. But what does affect me is the moral chaos in which we live. And what I mean by that is I constantly come across people who make moral pronouncements. Oh, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do this. They, they, they're they bad for doing that. But they have no criterion or no criteria by which to judge. A guy was telling me yesterday about all these horrible things Israel does. They're murderers or this or that. And I said, okay, well, before we can get to discussion, what are your criteria for judging moral conduct? He says, murder's bad, stealing's bad. I said, though you're giving me concrete examples. Right. I want to know why you're telling me they're bad. And he never got back to me. And as long as we have that problem where people just spew d disconnected moral pronouncements and get away with it, we're doomed. And I, I don't. Did you I hear mean, Don can... Watkins the other day on, uh, or read D Don Watkins the other day on Sam Harris? 
and Sam Harris's defense of morality. That's what I saw it is. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, what you, that's what you just put your finger on. It's the same issue you put your finger on. If a smart guy like Sam Harris can effectively say, well, ethics boils down to emotions, in effect, uh, you know, a, a dressed up version of Hume, uh, David Hume, this, uh, the moral philosopher who said you can't get a knot from an yeah. is, uh, famously, uh, and that values basically boil down to emotions. Well, just a dressed up argument for Hume in, in an answer. And saying that murder and theft, like your guys, oh, I know those are wrong. That's a religious approach. You know that why? Because they're in the Ten Commandments. It's been in, your parents inculcated that in you when you were a child. You picked that up from the culture, or what? That's just an emotion. Instead of thinking about morality, which is what we, exactly we need to do. I mean, my God, when you look at the so-called asymmetrical warfare that terrorism is supposed to be, it calls for moral uh, analysis. Uh, correct, careful, rational, thought through, in principle, moral analysis. Why are we doing it? What is our highest value? And then, of course, that ultimately comes down to what is your standard of value? What is the yeah. good for you? And unless you have, you're prepared to have a, a, a answer to that, uh, you really have no business entering this discussion of uh, pick, using a picture against Israel. Oh, look at this poor Palestinian baby that got killed. Uh, and Israel, does, whatever Israel's done, it's a question of emotions. It's a question of images. It's a question of we all know that Israel's the stronger one, and therefore they have higher obligations. You know, Hello. there's a sort of a disgusting, not sort of, there is. Yeah. There's a disgusting irony in this situation. And that is that Hamas are absolutely clear in their morality. They are willing to kill and die for their moral beliefs, as dis disgusting and distorted they are. Nonetheless, you ask them, "How are you? What is your standard of morality?" The Quran tells us, right, and that's it. And when you have one side that's certain in its righteousness, and another side that's half stepping and can't decide, it, it, it doesn't bode well for that side. And Hamas knows it. We yes. have the resolve. We have the moral clarity. They say it out loud. They see us at the West as decadent, confused, and in a sense, they're right. Now, of course, they're religious fanatics about. Uh, and this is what this is what all of our religious friends mean when they say that only religion can provide an objective basis for morality. It's the Hamas mentality. It's the same yeah. mentality. And ladies and gentlemen, if you ground it in the in the in the mystical um, um, fairy fairy land of you know your invisible friend above, uh, then of course you've undermined all ethics. That is the most arbitrary kind of ethics. But as arbitrary, whimsical, and subjective as it is in fact. They act with this complete dogmatic certainty. And that's the magic of religion, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's what they mean when they say rel only religion can provide moral certainty. No, it gives them the emotional certainty of grounding it in the supernatural. Uh, it's still, nonetheless, total whim worshiping. It, the whims of Allah, apparently, are what decide it, as opposed to the whims of Yahweh. Right. But it's the belief there that matters. Exactly. They believe it in they're willing to act with absolute certitude. And another thing, and I see what you think about this. I'm not one. I don't like to throw around accusations of racism, anti-Semitism. If there's another explanation, I, I usually will go with the other explanation because I find that anti-Semitism, racism, it's just too easy. It, it's just you, you, you pre preempt argument by saying, it. but 
I mean, if someone says that you, anyone who wants immigration restrictions, you know, I'm for pro-immigration, but take a get the example. If anyone's in favor of immigration restrictions, they must be anti- right. uh, I, I don't like that. Yeah, yes. A lot of the time that is just the cheesiest and yes. it's not their argument. They yes. believe it or not, some people have other arguments about immigration. Yeah. Even though I disagree with them, it doesn't mean right. they're, they're a fool or a knave. It just means uh, exactly. Disagree, right? I, I, in fact, I'm going to be pretty sure I disagree with their economic arguments uh, right. but, I mean, not, and their moral arguments, too. But the point is that wrong or right, it's not racism. And right. there's a lot of anti-Israel feeling out there that I think isn't necessarily anti-Semitic at all. On the yes. other hand, there is. Well, there here's is. my thing, Jim, right? There's atrocities taking place all over the world, in this country too. There's wars all over the world, right? Just this morning, I looked in, uh, uh, I was reading, I think in the New York Times, and it talked about that the federal government is the, this country's largest empl employer. That's problematic for me. Very problematic. And yet, and yet, the libertarian party's extreme wing, so these should be the people extremely concerned with liberty. It, when you go on their Twitter page or X page, that's not what's covered. Probably a good three quarters of what's covered is how bad Israel is. And my thing is right. this, you're for liberty, and yet right. you spend all your time arguing against the freest country in the Middle East. When right. there's a lot of liberty issues here at home, what right. explains that? What well, if it's not anti-Semitism? I just I can't. I mean, for for a Marxist, I might be able to grasp it because the Marxist always goes with oppressor oppressed. That's Libertarians though are very tribalistic, and they don't family, have a clear yeah. view of rights. You know, your ordinary libertarian will say that Native Americans, for example, had you know property rights. The land was stolen from them. It was all oppression. Dot dot dot. They'll go with that genocide line, and as if they have never heard of John Locke and the tremendous development of civilization that is the correct identification of individual rights and property rights, which in effect were unknown in the New World. Similarly, with the Palestinians. Uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, those groups. They're savages. They don't know what the rights. They wouldn't know a right if it bit them in the butt. And yet we're supposed to respect their rights as they do atrocities like October 7th or 9-11-2001. So these people are such savages that they can do those kind of horrors and atrocities. And yet we have to uh, import our moral, uh, you know, and like you say, of course, we're not going to lose our, because our morality is objective. We're not going to lose it. We're not going to make it subject to whim. On the other hand, by having the moral issues cleared up, we know exactly why we need to take out the enemy to the extent that we need to take him out. And going back to the, the recognition factor, we're not because we do not want it to escalate, they say, to involve Iran, for example. This is a great example of this. We evade the actual moral agency of Iran. In other words, our official policy is to ignore the bad actor here because our morality, now get this, it's clear what's going on here. Our morality that says we're going to be ambiguous about Israel, we want peace, we're to blame in effect if, if, if some war breaks out between Iran and the United States. And for all those reasons, we will evade the facts of the situation. Iran is behind all of this. Iran must be stopped or this will continue again and again and again and again and again. But no, we tee up the more October 7th, we tee up more Iranian terrorism, we tee up more Iranian hostages with every bit of sanction, with every bit of, uh, well, where were those, you know, you ask the guy, who were they firing on if not those ships? Uh, uh, well, we don't know who they what they were doing or who they were firing. We just know it, what they weren't firing on us, on Israel or America. 
Huh. Well, how would you know that? No, their epistemology is twisted, whether it's Iran or the missile shot uh, from Yemen. Their epistemology must be twisted. Why? Because they have these other higher values. These moral values, these twisted moral values are actually shaping the way they evade uh, the facts. There's no other way of looking at it. Where do we go from here, Jim? I mean, the, we're we're in an epistemological crisis, which leads to a moral crisis. Uh, how, and the people that we're citing here are not I- examples of epistemological or moral clarity. I mean, over in Israel, it, it's not like they're, they're certainly not objectivists. Let me put it that way. No, well, they're not objectivists here in America. No, no, they're not. No, well, we're not. We're not at war with Hamas. But, not but this is why this. The, you know, a great example though is being brought to light. A really teaching moment kind of example. When you see that the people who are the older the voting demographic is, the more they're supporting Israel and the less they support Hamas. The younger the demographic, the more they support Hamas and the less they support Israel. Now, let me suggest that this has to do with our educational system. Let me suggest this has to do with what kids are being taught in colleges and universities in America. You see it focused on college campuses. You see it focused on universities. You hear from these professors like Finkelstein we talked about, the guy from Cornell who was exhilarated by what happened on October 7th. This lack of epistemological clarity, this lack of moral clarity, of course, has to be traced back to the philosophy departments at great universities and the tax-subsidized evil that comes out from our social sciences and humanities departments is directly responsible. So I will ask all my fellow Americans out there to think about government-subsidized education, especially federally subsidized higher education, which basically all is in this country, mostly is in this country, which is pumping this stuff out. We can start by stopping the subsidization of these humanities and social science departments, which are causing the epistemological and moral confusion, and which apparently are pumping out all these young Hamas proponents. So I would say education really is, and this is a good, clear example of how education really is at the root of this. Will some of these young people grow up and uh, get uh, a better perspective on things? Yeah, but reality will have to club them over the head. They'll have to be deprogrammed from all the crap they've learned in their college classes. Uh, Look, I took, I was a philosophy major at New York University. I took courses like sociology, psychology, uh, a bunch of history and economics. And in every single one of those departments now, NYU had a great economics department with a bunch of Austrians. So I set those guys aside. But the truth, though, is is that uh, New York University's uh, humanities and social sciences department was filled with all kinds of material that if I were uncritical as a young person, I would have come come out a conditioned robot of anti-reason, anti-thought, anti-individualism, solidly programmed uh, in this collectivist, altruist, uh, mystic way. Uh, I just thank God that there was someone like Ayn Rand out there to inoculate me to some degree against that. Well, I think, Jim, I'm going to nominate you to be the head of the objectivist department for the deprogramming of the crap people have learned. (laughs) I'll take that job. I'm I'm up for dirty jobs. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're unfortunately uh, just about out of time. We have upcoming shows as 
Today at 6 p.m. UK time, we're going to have the reality show, and the discussion is going to be the legacy of one Henry Kissinger, affectionately known perhaps by his friends as Hank, although I can neither confirm that nor deny it. Well, I went up in an elevator once with Henry Kissinger. I was working at a big fancy law firm in downtown L.A. where Warren Christopher was a partner. Warren Christopher was a secretary of state for for, uh, Bill Clinton. So the, the the Secretary of State for Bill Clinton was a partner at the law firm. I went up in an elevator with Henry Kissinger, and he's got his security there. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> All right, and, and he does impersonations, people. All right, well, thanks for joining the Daily Objective. Uh, for the marvelous James Valiant, I'm Michael Leibowitz. Thank you very much.